Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Jubilee Street, a music podcast. If you've arrived at this part of the world, then you are in violation of jaywalking. You are an involuntary new member of the Jaywalking Society here at Jubilee Street. This week, I'm joined by my usual co-host, Ian McCurtis. Ian, why don't you tell the guests what we're doing this week? We are talking about... The new debut record from The Smile. Debut. It's a terrible shame. It's a terrible shame, I know. It's a brutal game. Gonna have to let you go. I'm stuck in a rug. Can't find my way. Now, who's in The Smile? Why should I give a shit about this band? The Smile is a new supergroup from Tom York of Radiohead. You might have heard of him. Johnny Greenwood. Maybe. From Radiohead. Mm-hmm. Various film scores. Paul, Tom Paul Sanderson Tom movies. May have heard of him. And the drummer from the jazz group Sons of Kemet. Uh, what's his name? Tom Miller. Is that right? Tom Skinner. Like Tom Principal Skinner. Skinner from The Simpsons. And yeah. it's Seymour. And the album is called A Light for Attracting Attention. I didn't say that. Everybody, apologies for Ian not saying the album title in a timely manner, but we did get around to it. We're not perfect here at Jubilee Street. So Ian sent out a song or two from this band to our uh, friendly group chat where we talk about, you know, politics, video games, comics, life, and we share music from time to time. And I saw this and I saw the song. I think it was You're Never Going to Work in Television Again or you will never work in television again. Turns out that it's a single from this record that they were hyping up. And I guess they released like six different singles up until this album came out. And I think it's like a 12 or 13 track album. So pretty bold move in my opinion to drop all that. But I was pretty excited once I put two and two together and realized that this was a Radiohead side project. I don't necessarily want to lump it in as a side project, but I mean, if Tom York's in it, it's pretty undeniably like going to be similar, I think. Yeah, this band formed in kind of a cool way. I don't remember the exact details, but I believe it was like one of those British music festivals. I want to say it was Glastonbury 2021. Uh, mm -hmm. They were doing like a, you know, they didn't have the festival because of COVID. So they were doing like a live stream and... They announced this band was forming and they were going to have their debut performance on the live stream. In early 2022, they also, it looks like, live streamed their first four singles and performed to an audience for the first time at three shows in London in person, uh, which were also live streamed. Maybe that's the same thing you were talking about. Um, no, this was like 2021 because I, I didn't hear them until earlier this year and I remember hearing about the project you know, a while before I heard any music. So um, this might be a weird question, but do you like the name of this band? I I guess I'm ambivalent about it, but it's very Tom York because Tom York loves that sort of like, I feel like all Radiohead is about like people in power, like oppressing you. Mm -hmm. And this, the, the smile seems so like cheeky. So I don't know, kind of snotty, like, it's it's very fitting for Tom York, so I like it in that sense. But if you were to, if you just told me to check out a band called The Smile, I don't know. I'd be like, whatever about the name. It's kind of got an you? eerie quality to it, right? Yeah, I think yeah. it's kind of like eerie. 
Yeah, like which like is, I feel like Tom York loves the like Orwellian imagery. Yeah. Like all throughout his careers, stuff that brings to mind Big Brother and the smile like mm-hmm. fits that vibe. Yeah. Well, thematically, the album definitely uh, calls to mind like dystopian imagery, and I think that there's some kind of like poking and prodding at like you know uh, protests and like you know on one of the songs he says uh, we all want the same thing peace you know he keeps you know i think he's always kind of had that like sort of peace sign mentality in his music like from the beginning which is interesting considering i find a lot of his music to be very chaotic and scary and i think that a part of that definitely came about from his interest in computers and like making like making electronic music in the earlier radiohead days and then i think it's just amalgam like become this amalgamation with what the smile is and the smile kind of feels like this like perfect kind of moment for him to like do a project like this because it feels too soon for another radiohead album since a moonshaped pool came out but it's been like six years i know but it to me it seems like they're going to be a band that like waits longer and longer to put music out i don't know why i have that inclination but i just feel like they put out so much shit for like 20 years and then it's been kind of slowing down progressively in the last five or six. And I mean, they still put out like singles and stuff here and there, but um, yeah, when, when I finally figured out that this was like, this was like a sort of side project from what Radiohead, Tom York, Johnny Greenwood were doing a lot at the time, scores and solo material. I was very excited. And um this will probably change as we talk about it, but I find this to well, be a pretty co- mid. Can I comment on something you said. Oh sure. Uh, when you were talking about this album being a lot about like uh, you know waving around a peace sign and touching on protest movements, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I find Tom York is like throughout his career he's very good at like touching on things that are happening in society before they happen. Yeah. Like, I feel like, you know, the classic Radiohead albums, the the first couple, kind of bring to mind his anxieties of the internet age before the internet age really came into full. Sure. And, like, all those emotions that he was, like, predicting were going to happen in society happened. And then, I feel like this album, you know, before, I I think a lot of those albums, like, the internet's going to make everyone apathetic and... He's sort of fighting against that, like his worry that society is just going to not care about anything. And now this album seems like he's like society is just mad about everything all the time. And we, we have to like find a way out of that. And that reminds me a lot of the Kendrick album that we talked about last week. Well, Haley and I were talking the other night um, about how this is like this seems like a very difficult time to be alive as far as like political unrest, um, uncertainty with like pandemics, um, species dying off, global warming, and how like, I think there's a tendency for humans to feel special in their experience. So I try to keep that in mind, but I do kind of get the impression that we're living through a unique like timeline right now. And uh, 
I think that that sentiment is echoed in the way that these songs are arranged and um, sequenced on this record. Um, and I find that there is sort of a pulsating like grooviness that really reminds me of what it's like to like be out in the world recently. You know, there's like sort there's always this sort of like it's, undercurrent of like anxiety everywhere. It's very eerie because these songs were written, let's say at least a year and a half ago, if not more. Some of these songs are way older than that. And we'll touch on that later. But like mm-hmm. the song speech bubbles seems Love to be about song. like child refugees. And how is Tom York to know that this album is going to come out in the middle of this Ukrainian war where there's tens of thousands of child refugees? Like, that's eerie as fuck. Right. And then the song before that, The Smoke, is all about all these, all this imagery of, of setting yourself on fire, like, you know, Buddhist monks have known, been known to do in protest. And I don't know if you heard about this because it didn't really get covered in the it. news. But just a few weeks ago, that guy from Colorado set himself on fire in front of the Supreme Court Mm -hmm. and killed himself. And there was no way Tom York Mm -hmm. knew that was going to happen. It's very eerie. Yeah. I feel like all the QAnon people are missing out on the person who actually seems to predict the future. Maybe it's not the Simpsons. It's Tom York. Maybe Tom York is Q. Maybe we figured it out. Tom Quark. Tom Quark. He's also working within the Ratchet and Clank games. Yeah. Captain Tom Quark. He's Captain Quark. Captain Tom Cork. <laughs> oh man! Shout out to Ratchet and Clank fans listening. But yeah, sorry, uh, not to cut you off. So, what were you about to say? You said you that you, the album you, it was it was sitting kind of mid for you. Yeah, no, it's okay. I I figured it would probably be better that you held me off from getting into that. Yeah, I've listened to it about three or four times, and I ha- I I don't know if it's because I really wanted to like it more, but I feel like there's only a couple of songs that really stood like stood out to me. Um, that I like want to go back to my favorite ones being you will never work in television again, speech bubbles, free in the knowledge and waving a white flag. I think that free in the knowledge is probably my favorite one. Um, I wrote down that's my least favorite one. Yeah, I, I like that. I like a lot of the softer ones. I, I think all the like more upbeat ones other than you will never work in television again. I feel like there's a lot of cursing on this record. I don't really, I don't know. Well, I guess he does kind of curse a good amount because there's that Wolf at the Door song on uh, um, Hail to the Thief where he's like, dance you fucker, dance you fucker, dance you, you know. So I guess it's not new, but it it, it seemed, at first I was like, oh, wow, he's like kind of like letting it rip on this album. Um yeah, I think Tom Tom York is like a lot more angry than I think we think of him because his he always sings in falsetto, not always, but most of the time. Music's so pretty, but a lot of Radiohead lyrics are very angry. Yeah, you, yeah, you're not wrong there. That's 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 well put. I think that's probably why they um, resonated with me a lot in my early twenties and my, throughout my whole life because I definitely have kind of an undercurrent of frustration that Radiohead manages to hone into um i did find that atmospherically this album's pretty well crafted i i love all the electronics i love all the like synths i like the guitar like effects that they use i think that the smile definitely sounds different from radiohead i i think that's it's just annoying yeah i think it sounds different enough i mean i'm giving it a lot of credit because it's 
it, they could all be B-sides from In Rainbows and, um, you know, King of Limbs, Moon-Shaped Pool. Like, they really could just be B-sides, but I do think that they have a certain quality to them that sets them apart. But it's so difficult because Tom York has such an iconic voice. Like, like I could never argue that The Eraser doesn't sound like Radiohead because it's, 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 it's his record. Nigel Godrick produced it, but, like... It still sounds like Radiohead, you know, it's like Tom York has a certain sound. He, you know, he writes the lyrics for the most part. I think it's kind of inescapable. But I do think that I guess maybe a better way to put it is it adds a nice little like side universe to the Radiohead like orbit. See, I feel like I feel like the Radiohead side projects, at least the Tom York ones, his solo stuff and Adam's for Peace doesn't sound like Radiohead. To me, this album, I feel like very much sounds like, you know, a mix between like, uh, let's say, okay, to computer through Hail to the Thief, like songs that could have been mm-hmm. on that stretch of records. And I almost feel like, I guess part of that is because Tom, the side projects never have Tom York and Johnny Greenwood together. So that's going to give it a certain sound. But every Radiohead record sounds really different from the last. They don't like repeat sounds. Yeah, and I almost feel true. like they made this a side project because they were like, "Let's go back to like how some of these other records sounded and do that vibe." And I almost feel like Radiohead can't ever repeat a vibe, so they were like, well, "Let's not call this Radiohead." Huh? Yeah, you're right. That's interesting. Um, because Radiohead, like at this point, it's expected that when a, like, a new Radiohead album comes out, they're doing something new. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I don't know. I think maybe my opinion kind of stems more so from like, I I, I really wanted to walk away from it with like more excitement and like, like willingness to go back to it. And um, there's a lot of stuff that I really like about it, but you know, before the episode, you and I were texting this week about Radiohead albums and how, you know, you'd kind of joked in sort of a real way. You were like, you know, it usually takes me like, you know, a couple of years to really like get a Radiohead album. It's like something I have to sit or sit with. And I kind of feel like maybe th- this will be more impactful um, if I look at the lyrics. Because what's really strange is I feel like Radiohead has really good lyrics, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm more like familiar with their feeling more so than their lyrics. And I think Maybe it would be better if I went through the album song by song again, reading along on the website of like, you know, seeing what the songs are like really trying to do. I just kind of got thematically what they were going for on this. Yeah, Radiohead's a lot like Modest Mouse in that regard for me. Where like, mm-hmm. I can appreciate Modest Mouse songs without really knowing the lyrics. But then sometimes mm-hmm. I like a song I've known for 10 years, I'll look up the lyrics and then I'll be like, oh shit, like, Isaac Brock's actually really good at writing lyrics. And sometimes I forget. He's a great lyric writer. Same with Tom York. Sometimes I forget how good he is at writing lyrics because you can appreciate Radiohead without knowing what he's saying. Yeah. I think to a certain extent, Modest Mouse, not to go on a tangent, I feel like Modest Mouse is almost better at writing songs because his lyrics are really simple too. Like Some of my favorite Modest Mouse songs are from the first couple albums. And I think that it, it really isn't until like um, the moon in Antarctica where he gets a little more intricate with that writing. Cause like 
you know, I really like Breakthrough from uh, This is a Long Drive and um, Custom Concern. And I got one, two, three, four, five, five, six, 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 six. six. Riding through the neighborhood majority. So that'll be a good one uh, to cover if we're ever in a band again. I put that on a mixtape. Yeah, sim- similar lyric writers in that, like, a lot of times when you hear a Modest Mouse song, you think it's just nonsense, and then you think about mm-hmm. it, and you're like, oh, this song's actually about something. And yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll save the Modest Mouse content for another Modest Mouse-themed episode, but what are your favorite songs? So I- what, what, what were your standouts? So for me, Free and the Lot Knowledge was my least favorite one just because it felt kind of... Hokey, it reminded me of like, uh, kind of like a Coldplay song almost. Like, let's all mm-hmm. join together and hold hands. And it just felt like... I just loved the vocal performance. Yeah, the vo- this whole album, I've, I'm really... I'll get back to my favorite songs. But I'm really just in awe of Tom York as like a vocalist. Yeah. I don't think I always appreciate him. I think mm-hmm. he might be like one of the best singers of our generation, of our time. Like... He can do the like angsty, yelly thing. He can do the falsetto, so beautiful, the kind of spoken word thing. Like the way he phrases words is always interesting, but you can still understand them. Mm-hmm. He always plays off the melody. Like he is a A plus plus tier vocalist. And this album, he's you know in his fifties, mid fifties, and is still just as great as he was when he was twenty five or whatever. Yeah. No notes. I I I, I tend to agree. <laughs> so favorite, my favorite song right now is the one before "Fear and the Knowledge." Open the floodgates, which is also a very soft one. It's kind of synth based instead of guitar based. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one just really reminded me of some of the really like pretty songs on on Kid A. Yeah. And then I really like. We don't know what tomorrow brings. Mm-hmm. It kind of had like a, a new way feel to me, which is something I've never heard them do. Just felt really fresh mm-hmm. for the Johnny Greenwood, Tom York team up. But but I so I listened to it a couple times today, and now that I finally like kind of, I feel like with Tom York stuff, I have to hear it like three or four times to just like get what's going on because. A lot of times stuff is mixed to be like kind of ambient and kind of wash over you. Sure. And I kind of got to get used to like the foundation of the song before I can like appreciate what's going on. And mm-hmm. today I feel like I finally like kind of knew the songs and could kind of like listen into different things. And I love this album. I, th- I think it's, if it was a Radiohead album, I think it would be like not the worst Radiohead album. I think it stands up with a lot of their discography. Sorry, I'm just uh, I, the audience can't see me because I'm not on camera. I'm I'm th- I'm just thinking to myself like, hmm, I wonder what the worst Radiohead album is because I never think of their early records because I honestly haven't listened to them very much. Pablo Honey, I don't think I've ever heard besides Creep, but yeah, no, I think this would be this would be up there. I need more time with it. That's that's sort of my takeaway is I need more time with this and I think it'll click with me in a little while. Radiohead is a band that I feel like I connected with most when I was younger because one, I don't think you need to be high, but I was high a lot when I was into Radiohead and I love ethereal music and Radiohead, I think kind of like opened me up to other music that I would love. That's very similar musically. I think that's why I like ambient music so much, you know, 
And I think this will be something that maybe I need to put on while I'm driving. I remember I, when I was listening to Radiohead back in the day, I always listened to it while I was driving. And I always think of rainy days, which I think probably just Makes comes sense. from, you know, living in Louisville where it's pretty much cloudy year round. I, I, I just like am so happy that we, we talked about this in depth on the Kid A or Kid Amnesia episode we did. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really come around to Radiohead till I was like 23, 24, 25. Mm-hmm. I'm just so glad that like I like it now because I wanted to like my whole life, like so many of my friends loved Radiohead. So many yeah. musicians I looked up to love Radiohead. And I just didn't like it. I'm just glad that I get it now. Yeah, you're kind of like you're you were Radiohead was to you what Mar, what the MCU is to me. Yeah, exactly. Except I didn't shit on Radiohead. Well, I think you kind of did. I was just like I don't get it. Yeah, but that's like the that's like the Ian way of being like, oh, this wasn't very good, you know. I I wanted to bring up the as, as I was it was kind of slow at work today, so I listened to it and was reading along the lyrics and. I've thought this before, but I don't think I've ever told you. The way you write lyrics reminds me so much of Tom York. And I've always thought that. That's really nice. I haven't written lyrics in a long time, so. He he does a lot of, like, he doesn't use, he seems to prefer using pronouns like they, we, you. He doesn't do a lot of I, and you do that a lot. They'll be like, they told me when I was a kid, and you said blah, blah, blah. Like, a lot of pronouns like that which I think fits in with your writing style. And then Tom York just has this way of writing. It's like wistful. It's like nostalgic about things that are like happening right now that aren't even in the past. And I feel like <laughs> your writing always feels like that to me. Like It always seems like you're writing like kind of removed out of time, even if it's, you're writing about something in the present. Uh, I just think similar, similar writing styles, which makes sense because you, you know, in your formative years, this was an influential band. Yeah, yeah. It, I'm really mind... Well, first of all, I don't know if you were intentionally giving me a compliment, but that's a pretty great compliment to give me a, as, as far as saying that my writing is reminiscent of Tom York. Cause, I mean, what, you know, I was just being honest. I'm just telling you how I honestly feel. Um, but I, it's still a nice thing to say. Uh, I would... I, I want to just push back and say that I'm pretty mind blown by how much you read into the lyrics in the way that I'd never really thought of him as some kind of like apocalypse whisperer as far as like being able to like talk about things that haven't quite happened yet, but like, but kind of Dude, if you succinct- listen to OK Computer and you, and you think about like at the time that album came out, people yeah. had dial-up and the way he's like predicting what the internet's going to do to society is like mm-hmm. pretty fucking crazy. I can't think of that song... That's got the robot voice, but that is one of the most oh, powerful, yeah. fitter, happier, or something like that. Fitter, happier, yeah, more productive. Um, that that's uh, definitely ahead of its time as far as lyrically using that like robot voice wasn't. I mean, I, I think like there were plenty of bands that were doing like kind of the vocoder, like robot-y kind of voice in the eighties and the seventies, but. Not in the way that that like that track is so eerie and kind of creepy, um, but you don't really know why it's creepy, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like unsettling. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, similar. I, I feel like 
1984 has to be his favorite book of all time. Because it's similar to like when you read 1984 for the first time when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. And before you get to the back half and you realize how fucked up the government is, you're like, is this life really so bad? He like always knows he's going to have a job. He gets his food. Like, what's so what's so bad about it? But it is kind of unsettling. And that's how yeah. a lot of his music is, too. <sighs> it's... uh. Unsettling is a good word. There was a lot of sort of unsettling art coming out around the time Radiohead came up and did OK Computer too, like Aphex Twin and a lot of like Harmony Corinne and like Gummo and what's that other movie he's known for? Kids. Um, a lot of art around that time had this like unsettling quality, I think, that sort of set the tone for what would come after. And, you know, it's interesting... Uh, because a lot of that stuff came out in the 90s and it was right before Y2K and you got to wonder how much, like I'm re- on my rewatch of King of the Hill, they, there's like a whole season where Dale consistently talks about Y2K and then afterwards when, he, when nothing happens, he consistently references like how he was wrong about Y2K and you got to wonder about how that kind of panic like, was like embedded into people's lives for a while. And we lived through that. And I don't really remember people freaking out about it that much in my life. But it was a huge deal. I feel like my dad thought it was bullshit from the start. But I remember my mom and my grandma. I remember like the night of New Year's Eve 1999. uh, My grandma had a party because it was going to be like New Millennium. It was like a big, huge party. And I don't think they really believed it. But I remember like this, like... They were when it hit midnight. I remember like everyone kind of being like, "Okay, this is a possibility. Bad shit could go down." But then it didn't. That's pretty uh, in character for for them, I would say. You can edit but that yeah, out I if think, they're going to hear it. I think it. that just like <laughs> that feeling of like we rely on computers, but we don't really understand them yet. Yeah, that, you know that that's very like late nineties. Or the idea to even now where it's like. Computers are basically our family members and we rely on them for everything and we don't know how much they know about us. Like the other night I was thinking about how if I brought up Radiohead and I and my phone was turned on, my phone would hear me talking about it and how I kept thinking, man, I'm going to get a bunch of Radiohead content in my Instagram timeline if I say that. But anywho, that's kind of a separate uh, tangent. I was going to bring up, I, I noticed a cool crossover, Panavision and uh, another song, uh, what's it called? That's How Horses Are by this band. Oh, wait. it was So it was a solo song by Tom York called That's How Horses Are and then Panavision were released together on April 3rd, both of which were used in the Peaky Blinders series finale, which oh. has yeah, a... There's a connection to Nick Cave there. So I thought that'd be cool for our Nick Cave listeners since it's probably been a minute and since we've talked about some Nick Cave. We just we finished up our ghost teen residency like last month and we're still kind of trying to figure out what we want to do with that. So for those listening that want some more Nick Cave content, don't you worry. Um this is kind of, was very beautiful. The the chorus when it talks about like uh, I think it's something about like a camera panning wide and mm-hmm. that made me think about we don't know how much we're being watched at all time. Like it reminded me of a camera lens. You think mm-hmm. it's only seeing one thing and then it opens up and it's watching everything. That felt very like classic Radiohead talking about technology. What do you think about You Will Never Work in Television Again? 
I thought, I mean, I think that song's very good. I, w- I will say, and I'm talking like 8 out of 10 as opposed to 10 out of 10. Like, still great. But mm-hmm. I think when Tom York does these kind of punky, angsty songs, there's a few on Hail to the Thief. I think his, like, songwriting goes down just a notch. Mm-hmm. Just a a little more on the nose, a little not as subtle as most of his songwriting. But maybe that's by design because it's angstier. But when that song came out, I was hyped because I was like, I haven't heard Tom York sing over something like this in a long time. Yeah, there's some good lines on this too, like, fear not my love, he's a fat fucking mist. <laughs> there's been so many songs about like Harvey Weinstein and Me Too and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff that like... Yeah. It, it doesn't tell me, it doesn't show me anything new, but I just appreciate Tom York rocking out again. Yeah, I, I I mostly figured it was a take on um, cancel culture and people that had been associated with that and Me Too and stuff. So I, I, I figured it. Tom probably had to have some kind of feedback on that. But yeah, it's <laughs> nice. I mean, there's a couple fast songs, and it's nice to hear that again because, I mean, I guess the Moonshape Pool, you know, that Burn the Witch song is kind of it's a good song, rocky, but I it's don't like think subtly really rocky like this since Hail to the Thief. Yeah. A long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It hasn't re- there haven't been any projects that are that have been well, I don't know. I think they rock pretty hard on in in Rainbows, I think. True. I always forget that that you know, cuz I heard all of Radiohead's albums at once pretty much. I always forget that In Rainbows is after Hail of the Thief. I mean, House of Cards, um 10 step, I think, or two step. Fuck, I can't remember the also, name. Also, and you will never work in TV again. He says piggies, mm-hmm. which is, uh, he says I'm paranoid android. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. That just seems like a very specific word to use, piggy. I don't ever say the word piggy. I always think of uh, Lord of the Flies when I hear piggy. Oh, yeah, poor piggy. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that's also probably a favorite book of Tom York. Yeah, he probably fucking loves that book. <laughs> Be very honest. I, I, it's, it, it makes me wonder, like, and kind of wish that Tom York had a Red Hand Files of his own. And, I was thinking but that it, too, like, but if just I, like three I, word answers, you know, because I didn't come into Radiohead until I was an adult, I don't really know anything about Tom York, and I would love to. I th- I think he does interviews. I should just like have a day where I, I watch some interviews. I would love to know more about him. I don't know how good he is in interviews, though. I I I've always been weary of watching them because he just kind of seems like he'll be aloof or kind of fuck with people as opposed to like, yeah. he seems, he seems more akin to like, I'm not saying he is like, like super like Andy Kaufman, but that's kind of the like vibe I get from him. Just like looking at him and he's just got this mischievous quality to him. I love, I mean, I love Tom York. I I guess I, I don't really, I feel like weird saying this, but so you can edit it out if you don't think it's necessary, but I like, I've realized that, I I think I've said this to you before, but I have this like weird thing where I like, I like really want to like things and I do really like things, but I don't know how to express it. And I feel embarrassed because I don't want people to see me like actually like liking something because I guess I'm afraid people are going to make fun of me Mm -hmm. or, or I'm, or I'm just embarrassed like showing that emotion or something. Um, Sorry for getting a bunch of background noise. This I need to get rid of this desk chair and get a new one. Um, it's just so squeaky. But like, 
I really love Radiohead. I really do. And I feel like I don't listen to them as much as I feel like a big fan would. And I, I don't know what it means to be like a, like a long life, like a lifelong fan anymore, because I feel like my music tastes shift so dramatically every like five years. And I still like a lot of the stuff, but I guess I kind of feel like there was like one thing he said about like Israel that kind of turned me off to him. And I think he said like, he used like the R word and I don't, that's not a word that I care for very much. I'm definitely not as like PC militant as I used to be, but I do think it's offensive. And I think that kind of like turned me off to him almost instantly. This was probably back in 2016, 2017. And I just kind of lost like a taste in my mouth for him. But I, I was like such a huge Radiohead fan for a while. And I guess I'm just excited that I mean, we got I, to I think if someone, do Kid A and cover this within the last, you know, year or so. I, I think if someone has added to my life as much as Tom York has added to yours, like from your teenage years on, I don't know if one like off color comment is worth like feeling differently about the person. One yeah. comment versus years of like years of art that has moved you. Well, it's one of my anxieties like about said, like, it wasn't like he was like, I, I hate black people and uh, think we should start a new country where only white people are allowed. Like, yeah, he, he said the R word, which is bad. But like we all someone in my family just said it the other day. Like it's a lot of people say it like it sucks. But like, you know, I don't think it's worth feeling differently about a person. You I think I you try to correct him in a nice way and you move on. I think I really was in a place five years ago where like I just if I if somebody did any little thing that I didn't like, I would just completely shut them out and like ghost them, not talk to them. Like I think it kind of came from the group of friends I had for a while in Louisville where like everybody kind of talked shit about every like each other, even you know, people that like we would hang out with all the time, like our friends and like everybody was like saying something shitty or somebody was being racist. And it just never, it just, I think it just put me on this thing where I needed to be perfect all the time. And when like one of my like musical, like, I don't want to say heroes, but one of the like musicians that I really enjoyed and like consistently was moved by their music said something that was like remotely not PC. I was, it was, it was just so easy for me to like let go of it. Um, it was it was a bad feeling. It, it felt bad, and I don't think it was fair to like Tom Radiohead. Like I, I and I still loved the music. I think I just I think it comes from this like deep seated like insecurity where I like feel like liking something a lot is like cringy. Like I think it's why I like make fun of the Marvel Cinematic Universe fans because I'm like, why do you guys like this so much? Like I don't I don't like it. Why do you like it? Like it's like a an inherent problematic like problematic annoying need to like like be validated in what I like and don't like and I guess I guess I like the reason I bring this up is it's like I like the smile I wish I liked it as much as you and it's it's kind of frustrating because I got this vibe before the episode that you were really gonna dig this and I wasn't gonna have that much to say and I think that's sort of my argument as to like I don't know Maybe that was completely inappropriate. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, I get, I mean my I'm just like a fanboy by nature. I'm just that's just like how I am. Yeah. Um unless we were talking about the new arcade fire, then I could shit all over it. Yeah, I haven't heard you talk uh, about it very much. But you know, 
Usually when we cover things, I feel like I'm more positive than you. It's just like, I love loving things. Like, that's why we don't call this, like, music criticism, because I'm not a very good critic. Yeah. But I want to be a person that loves loving things, too. I think that I am. I just, I hold back for some reason. I think I do really like this record, and I just need to be more open to it. I think that I have this, like, ability to like shut out things that will bring me happiness because I feel like I'm not worthy of it or something. I don't know. Is this my, is this a therapy session or is this a podcast <laughs> or is it both? I, I mean, after um, the Kendrick album last week, we don't know where therapy session ends and music begins. That's so true. That's so All true. All the lines are being blurred. We're just out of pocket. We're just out of pocket. Yeah. I, I don't know. That's an interesting thought. And you know, we could probably talk about in depth any number of times. Bring it up uh, on the next podcast when we talk about any other album. Yeah, I don't know. When, when I listen to something, I just like go in with the expectation I'm going to like it. And then... But, I mean, there's plenty of things I don't like. But, like, it ha you have to give me a reason to not like it. I'm definitely going to spend more time with this record, and I think we'll see where it stands at the end of the year for the Jubies. Speaking of which, I think we're... In July, I think we're going to have to do the Halfway to Jubies show, so... It's going to be interesting to see what we're liking. Today, I was thinking about that. To, well, not the halfway, but I was thinking about this year compared to 2020 and 2021. I feel like there's already better albums than albums that I liked more this year than in 2020 and 2021 combined. Like this Kendrick, the Big Thief album, Black Country, New Road, like all those, all four of those could have been number one in the other two years. I'm just yeah. There's a lot of stuff that's like really hitting hard for me this year. We had some good records through those years, though. It was slower, but we had no, a lot we of did, good music. But like, yeah. This year's had some like damn near like ten out of ten, like multiple ones. Multiple ten out of tens. We're talking a multi platinum year. You know I'm saying. Do you yeah, got any? Just, uh, you got any other got albums that you're anticipating? Hmm. I know I do, but I'm drawing a blank right now because I feel like this year, like everyone, everyone has either made a new album or they're putting out the album that they put on the back burner because of COVID. So I feel like, you know, there's a ton of things getting released. Well, we're getting but a new I, Kanye album this year, right? Isn't Donda Two coming out? I don't know. I don't really. I, don't, I mean, oh, I'll wait. listen to that. And I'll I think it like already it, did but. come out, didn't it? It came out on that MP3 player. Oh yeah, it did that? Man, I already forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Did that whack live stream. The songs weren't finished. That was garbage. Yeah, I don't know what his team was thinking with that. What about the new Jack Harlow? Is that going to rank anywhere for you? No, I don't. Look, <laughs> I'm glad Jack Harlow's representing Louisville, and I think he's a cool dude. But I don't. I couldn't care less about his music. Yeah. Do we want to do? Um, oh, one last thing that I wanted to say about this album was just. I was thinking on a couple of these songs, and then one, it was The Smoke, really hit home for me. It opens Ooh. with that really cool drum beat, and the drummer on this album killed it. It sounds so much like Radiohead, just like so jazzy, but sounds like a drum machine at the same time, how precise it is. I know. Drums are phenomenal. Um, but that made me think, like, fuck, like, listen to the beginning of that song, The Smoke, Jake, and think about Doom rapping over it. And I wish we could have got that long-form Tom York and Doom collaboration that was always rumored. How cool would that be? Because I think we got at least one song. Is there two? 
They've collaborated, but it was always rumored that they were going to do a whole album together and never happened. I think this is the song I was referring to earlier about uh, where he brings up protesting specifically. The smoke, yeah, that one is the one with all the like setting yourself on fire imagery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A one true revolution wakes me from my sleep. Smoke wakes me from my sleep. Yeah, this one. Powerful stuff, man. I'm not sure how I feel about the like whole lighting yourself on fire protest, but if that's how you want to go out, that's what you want to be remembered for, then I guess if that's your yeah, choice. Yeah, I know that's like, I know that's a tradition in Buddhism. I, I, I don't know enough about it to speak to like any past that, but it is like kind of the ultimate fuck you. Like I'm going to make you watch me die and you're, I'm going to make you watch me die in like the most traumatic way for you to have to watch. I wonder what it was like for the people who watched that. Probably pretty you, fucking bad. Like, Because you, you're definitely always going to know the smell of burnt skin after that. I, I can't imagine the amount of therapy I would need if I... Watching someone die at all would be horrible, but watching them burn to death would be pretty fucking traumatic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think that you'll pick up this record on vinyl? I was you thinking about that because I, I have a few Radiohead albums. I, pro- I probably won't order it, but if I saw it out at a store, I would probably buy it, yeah. I'm sure I'll get it eventually. You know, of my collections that I've let go and hung on to, I'm glad that I kept my comics. Part of me feels like it. I would have liked to keep all my records, but I don't really miss them ever at all. Yeah, since I moved into the new, you know, the new abode, I haven't really listened. I've only listened to records a few times. I need to get a better setup. Well, you've been working on the hot tub for like six months. You work. You can't find that piece. Not a lot of work. You just keep, you just, you know, you just tell Courtney, hey, I'm going out back to work on the hot tub and you just kind of like <laughs> bang a wrench around on one, on like the, the hose. You come in, you're all sweaty. She's like, what are you doing out there? He's like, just working on the hot tub. In yeah, reality, just, you're just uh, out there playing with Buffy, like pulling her around on the rope. I pull up YouTube videos of like Looney Tunes fights. So there's like a lot of noises and banging <laughs> going on and. Mm-hmm. And she thinks I'm doing something. <laughs> just like ambient noise. Like you just find like a YouTube video of like a construction site background noise. Yeah, just like wrenches. She's wrenches like, I was hearing a lot of cat calls out there. What's going on? <laughs> I guess a neighbor. Anyway, I, I didn't mean to get off topic. I'm just kind of riffing. Um, any, no, so, so to, to wrap anything it up, else you want to talk about on here? Yeah, do you want to do our, our concert uh, rap roundup? I think we both have been to some concerts. Oh, that's that's funny that you bring that up. I was thinking about doing that today. Uh, yeah, I, I'll go first. Um, so I haven't been to a concert in quite some time. Um, we went to see Paul McCartney at the SoFi or Sophie Stadium in Los Angeles. I think that's where the most recent Super Bowl was. One of the best shows I've ever been to in my life. Uh, I know a lot of the Beatles music. I don't know as much Wings, but he played a lot of hits. I think there were a couple of new songs that he played. It was just it, it it brought tears to my eyes at some points because I was I was like this is like this is like music royalty and we're getting to like see him live and like he still sounds killer and he's like ripping it and he's like funny he's telling all these great stories about like Jimi Hendrix and John Lennon and it was awesome and I I I think what was really nice to me is I might have mentioned this earlier, but I've always been kind of against like big stadium concerts because I feel like why would I want to sit that far away as someone who used to go to a lot of punk shows? Like I used to just be right up in the front. You can see everything. You can hear everything. It's just right there. Mm-hmm. 
But this was still a pretty intimate, like, personal experience. And I was surrounded by, like, thousands of people just singing along. And, like, the way that the crowd would, like, interact with him, like, the way that the audience would, like, roar, it was really, really cool. Like, I, I've never had an experience like that before. So if anyone listening, like, has a chance to go see him and they haven't seen him or if you're, like, fuck the Beatles, I would still recommend to both of those types of people, like, buy a ticket. It's a, it's worth every penny. It is expensive. It was a concert I'll never forget. And going with my girlfriend Haley was even more special because she loves the Beatles. And she was like, just completely awestruck afterwards. Like she was like sad for like two or three days after the concert because she loved it so much. What what song hit the hardest for you? Like being able to hear it played live? Um. Well, he did a, he did like a duet with John Lennon. And that might, there might be people listening who are like, how did that happen? John's been dead for like 40 years. Um, so Peter Jackson told Paul before his tour while he was working on the Get Back sessions, uh, which are on Disney Plus if you want to watch them. They're really cool. Um, it's just like like eight or nine hours of like in, intimate like studio time with the Beatles at like the point in their career right before they were about to break up. So... Peter Jackson was able to isolate John's vocals and um, their song, I've Got a Feeling from Let It Be, the way they did it live is the band played along to the original song on a, on a, like a backing track. And then the screens all showed John singing his part. And I felt like that was like really powerful because it wasn't cheesy like a hologram because I know that they've done holograms in the past. Uh, not Paul, but like, there have been artists who've done that. Um, that was probably like one of my favorite experiences, but um, all the wing songs that he played like were really great. Um, yeah, I don't know. I would say it was that. And then right at the end, he played, uh, I think it's. I think it was called Live and Let Die. And I'd never been at a show where there was like a, like a fireworks or an ex, like, a, like a fire oh, yeah. thing. And there was this huge explosion and then like fire erupted in the front of the stage and fireworks shot out. And that was really cool. Like you, I'd never gotten that kind of like big concert experience. And I don't know, it's hard to really pinpoint like a specific song, but, you know, he played Let It Be. Um, they played Hey Jude. Uh, Helter Skelter was a highlight. Um, they played a lot of I'll really cool forget. tracks. I don't I don't think I've told the story in the pod before. I, I went on a trip to Chicago to see Alkaline Trio with... My dad probably 10 years ago, and we saw them at the Metro, which is right across the street from Wrigley Field, and I'll never forget leaving, and Paul McCartney was playing at Wrigley Field, and I remember walking out the door and hearing Hey Jude being played. Yeah. And we just sat there and listened to him play a few songs across the street at Wrigley Field, and it was so cool. Yeah, it, pardon me, it was something else. Um and the, man, and then leaving that concert was insane. I think we walked like 10 or 12 blocks just to get to a place where we could catch a car to get home. It was insane. That's LA for you, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was so many fucking people. And it was on a weekend night anyway, so even without the concert, it would have been crazy. Oh, you know what? Uh, I, I needed to pull up the set list because he played a long-ass set. Um, I'm sure. All... My favorite stuff was the I've Got a Feeling duet with John Lennon, which I brought up. And then 
Um, all of the long medley stuff from Abbey Road. So he played You Never Give Me Your Money. She came in through the bathroom window. And he they played Get Back, which is one of my favorite Beatles songs. And then his last song was Golden Slumbers, Carry That Weight, and The End. And all of it was fucking phenomenal. That was the stuff. That's the stuff I really like. I, I think that um, that late era Beatles is always going to be my favorite. And then they played some Sgt. Peppers at the beginning, which was fun. I'm guessing no one opened, right? It was just Paul McCartney playing for like two and a half hours? Yeah, he uh, he started at 8.30, played till 11.30. Yeah, it'd be hard to have anybody. Everybody's there to see Sir Paul. Isn't it wild that uh, we used to go to shows that lasted like 20 minutes per set? Yeah, and we've probably seen some like power violence bands that have done as many songs in 20 minutes as Paul McCartney did in three hours. Right, right, exactly. Uh, so what about you? You got a concert check. I, I feel like I've been to three since the last time we talked, but I can't remember what the third one was. I, I stayed going to, to concerts. A, I went to a small local show, saw this band from New York called A Deer, A Horse. It was cool. Mm-hmm. They uh, musically kind of sounded like Deftones, like heavy, experimental, but catchy. And then vocally, it sounded like Sleater Kenny, like two female singers similar harmonies as to what they would do. It was, it was a cool mix. They were really good. Um, and then I went to Nashville and saw Jawbreaker, Lucero, and the Muslims with the Ooh. stand-up Shane Torres opening. Who you loved. Yeah, he was loved really Shane funny. Uh, he told some really funny stories about like his COVID experiences. And it, it was really great. I, at the beginning, I didn't know if I was going to like him or not, and then he was winning me over more and more. Um, Lucero I've seen before great Jawbreaker I've seen before great they played all of Dear You um, and then it's been the Muslims have you heard of them Jake? no but I like that b- for a band name I-, I think they're a newer band I believe they just signed Epitaph and they reminded me so much of a young No Effects. they had cool their, their front person was they looked androgynous I'm not sure if they go by she or they but mm-hmm. it was a a black androgynous looking woman, maybe non-gender, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, at the beginning of the set, they were like, hey, we're probably going to piss you off. That's just kind of our thing. Don't get mad. And then they just, it reminded me so much of like the first couple of No Effects records. Just sloppy, really funny songs. Mm-hmm. Like, not PC, but you could tell they were coming from a good place. Yeah. I thought they were great. I was like, this is a band I got to like keep an eye out for. I don't even That's know if awesome. they have an album out yet or not. But it was really cool Jawbreaker, like, you know, Put them gave on. them that moment of being able to open. You know, they looked like they were all, like, 20. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be huge for them. How um, big was the venue they played in? It was a place called the Brooklyn Bowl, and it had a bowling alley in it. Upstairs That's awesome. and downstairs. Um, it was probably, I don't know, a 1,000 people. That's pretty big for Jawbreaker. For- That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, Jawbreaker's still riding on that, like, reunion. You know, no one ever thought they'd reunite. They didn't really get to have a huge tour because of COVID, so I think they're still riding that reunion wave. Um, And then I also, somewhat music-related, went to the Country Music Hall of Fame. Oh. Dude, I thought, you know, the past six months, I've probably listened to country more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And it was just so, like, the perfect time for me to go. I fucking loved it. It was awesome. It wasn't like, 
you know, I was worried it was going to be a lot of the like Toby Keith, like rah rah American kind of shit. I don't like. There was hardly any of those people represented. It was all the kind of stuff I like. All the exhibits are really cool. It wasn't too long. I felt like I was able to appreciate everything. It wasn't like running my way through to get through, you know, get through it all. Mm-hmm. It was great. Highly recommend if you're ever in Nashville. Well, if you if you need to like get a little bit of taste of that, if you're missing it, there's a good episode of the of King of the Hill, where there's a whole bunch of country music stars in it. I'm talking Charlie Daniels. I'm talking Randy Travis. I'm talking uh, fucking bunch of other people. And I just learned a lot about like the 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 history, how like different scenes came together and split apart, and all that stuff's always cool to me. That sounds really great, Ian. Was there like a particular experience that was better than the other or are they all equally as important to you? I thought what was really cool was, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Alan Jackson, but he's Mm -hmm. one of my favorite country stars. He has this song, I think it's like one of his first hits about when he was a kid, his dad won a radio in like a contest. Yeah. And that was how he wanted to become a country star because he heard the songs on the radio and he was like, that's what I want to do when I grow up. Mm -hmm. At the... At the museum, they had the radio his dad won from, like, the contest. Like, mm. I thought that was really cool because it's, like, it's not just, like, a guitar he played. It's, like, something he references in a song, and they had the, like, you know, yeah, the thing from the song. I thought that was, like, one of the coolest. Because most of the people, they just had, like, a guitar they played, an outfit they wore. I thought mm. that was, like, a unique thing to put. That's really but cool. They had, like, uh, Elvis's Cadillac, <laughs> which is really cool. It had, like... A TV mounted in the back seat, but it was from like 1970, so it was like so janky looking. Uh, Wait, did he actually have a TV mounted in the car? Yeah, but it was before like, you know, we were kids. I feel like that was a gimmick where like minivans would have a TV in the back. Oh, it was like but the coolest like, thing ever. This was like 1970, so they didn't really have the technology, so it looked so shitty. Yeah. But yes, there was a TV in the back technically. Okay, that's funny. Man, that that was always mind blowing to me and my brother. I feel like we always were like trying to get uh, Super Smash Brothers to hook up to those van TVs, and they never did. Mm. Yeah, I remember my grandma had one, and I remember hooking up, like playing Crash Bandicoot. Yeah, shit's fun. There's in something the car, about like and you're like holy shit. You're like what? I can play in the car. I'm in a car, but I'm also playing games. What the hell? Um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm glad you did. I love those segments. Um, I'm definitely trying to get out more and see live music. So uh, I'm I'm kind of bummed. I was going to bring this up earlier, but um, like before we recorded, but I think the listeners might fi- like find it interesting a little bit. I completely forgot that uh, there was a limited release for that Nick Cave and Warren Ellis movie that came out. Um, and... A uh, listener of the podcast and friend Michael McNeely told me that he went to see it with his wife and he really, really liked it. Um, so I was thinking we could just sort of make like a verbal agreement on the pod here now. Um, yeah, let's watch it. We'll see if it's on VOD and we'll. Well, yeah, watch it. they they didn't release it in Louisville because there's not really unless they played at the Speed Art Museum. They're not. You don't. We don't really get like small releases like that. Is there still a Village Eight in Louisville, or did that close down? It, it's no, it's still it's still around, but I feel like they don't play the small art house stuff like they used to. Yeah, Village really Eight used to be like the shit the for those art museum theater or nothing. Yeah, I, I 
Shout out Village 8. That's a nice little theater in Louisville. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, Village 8 is great. If you uh, don't care about seeing the MCU movies when they come out, you can wait like a month and see them for like $3. Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's really, really cool. Um, as long as you can avoid the spoilers for the MCU, better to see them cheaper. Anyway. I mean, you know me, I'm there on opening day. Ian, should we take it home? Yeah, let's take it home. Great episode. Um, thank you, Jay I'm Walkers. So He's so good at this. I'm Jake Curtis. This has been Jubilee Street, a music podcast. You can check us out on at Jubilee Street Pod on Instagram, uh, Jubilee Street Pod at gmail.com. If you want to email us, send us something in for our mailbag. We love to hear from you. You can send us a nice message. You can argue with us. You can send us what you want us to talk about. If you've got like a Nick Cave album that you want to hear, for instance, you know, I was talking with one of our listeners about the new Shilpa Ray album. We were messaging back and forth on Instagram. Um, you know, this is first and foremost like a place of discussion. So we love talking and hearing other people's opinions and have a good night. We love you. Jay Walkers forever. Out. Out. Forever. Out. Out.